right, so good to have you guys here today, and, and I'm so glad you're here in December because we are in a significant season as we're approaching the birth of Christ, and um, you know, not just the fact that He is a baby uh, in a manger, but it's actually an important moment in history where God invades time. That God actually becomes a man, and through the person of Jesus Christ, He begins the journey from birth unto the cross when He dies upon the cross for your sins and my sins. And guys, I can hear you clear up here talking, guys. David, I can hear you guys. And so, it's a moment in history where God can invades right into the uh, earth, and He comes to die upon the cross for your sin and my sin. So if you have your Bible, pull your Bible out. If you don't have your Bible, grab your sermon notes out of the, the outline that the ushers gave you. And let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And before I read that to you, I want to say this to you, that it's a prophetic verse and it looks forward to the birth of Christ. And basically it tells us uh, something about God and about Jesus about through his titles and his attributes. So let's read this verse together. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Look at that. He says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon the child's shoulders, upon the, on the son's shoulders, and the child will be called Wonderful Counselor. The child shall be called Mighty God. The child shall be called Everlasting Father. And a translation I like better than that is Father Forever. Write that down. Father Forever. The child shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father Forever, and the Prince of Peace. Now, I want to talk today a little bit about, about Father forever, or the Eternal Father, or the Everlasting Father. And I want you to put just on hold for a moment this idea of the Trinity here. Put that on hold here. We're not talking about God the Father in the sense of the Father. We're talking about the Son today. And Isaiah says that when the Son is born, when the child is born, He is not going to be just a child, but He is going to be God. If you have any doubt of who Jesus Christ is, was he a great teacher? Was he a great man? Was he a great prophet? Yes, he was a great man. Yes, he was a great teacher. Yes, he was a prophet. But far and beyond that, he is God, period. And we see it throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Thomas falls down on his face before Jesus, and he says, my Lord and my God. And so he shall be called Everlasting Father. And so when Isaiah refers to Jesus as Father forever, or as Eternal Father, or Everlasting Father, he is saying if you have any doubt about who this child is, he's more than a baby, he's more than a prophet, he's more than a man, he's more than a teacher, he's more than a sign, he is God. Father forever, he is the possessor of eternity. He is the manager of eternity. But more than that, he's a father. 
A father that's tender, a father that's faithful, a father that's loving, a father that's strong. He's a trainer, a guardian, a provider. I've got to pause here for a few moments if you have your outline there with me because I want to address something here. Whenever I start talking about fathers, whether it be on Father's Day or if we're doing a series on parenting or I talk about Father God, here's what happens. I can't talk about God as the Father until I address our own issues with our fathers. Because here's what happens. We have a tendency to view God through the lens of our own experiences. And so when I call God Father, when I call Jesus Father, when I call God, you know, by these names, our minds start thinking, well, maybe my dad wasn't that great. And so I began to look at Father God through the eyes of my own earthly lens. And so maybe you have good memories of dad, maybe you don't. But we project upon God those experiences that we have had with our own father. And so let's look at a couple of these. Perhaps in your lifetime, your earthly father was a father who was never satisfied. You could never live up. You had A's and B's on the report card, but he said it wasn't good enough. Maybe you spent your life trying to pursue that carrot on the stick, and there was that carrot on the stick, but just like the donkey trying to get at the carrot, it's held just a little further out, and you reach for it, and you strive for it, but you never get it because as soon as you about grab it, Dad would move the goalpost, and you just couldn't you just couldn't please him. You wanted him to say, I love you. You wanted to hear God say, I'm proud of you. But he was that, saw, that, that strong and silent type, and maybe he just couldn't get it out. And perhaps he's still alive today, or maybe he has passed away, and you're still living in your lifetime thinking, I just wish I could have heard him say, heard him say one time, good job. And when we view God as a father that is never satisfied, here's what happens. We try to do so many things. If I can just do one more thing, if I can join just one more team, if I can just be baptized one more time, if I can read the Bible through just one more time, and we start doing this thing to where we're not serving God out of a sense of gratitude and love, but we're trying to get his attention, it, it gets foggy, it gets messed up really quickly. We view God as a father that cannot be satisfied. Maybe your earthly father was a father who was always angry. You always found yourself walking on eggshells around him. Because when you walked around him, you just knew that any moment he's going to fly off the handle. If I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, you'd hear his truck, pickup truck, pull up in the driveway. And you begin to whisper or hide in your room because you did not want to set dad off. Because you know even the slightest movement will send him off. And maybe he was the kind of angry person that verbalized it. Or maybe he absolutely ignored you and didn't say a word. Maybe he ignored you like you didn't exist. Or maybe he was the one that said, you're never going to amount to anything. I wish you were never born. You're a mistake. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is the biggest fallacy and biggest lie I think we've ever heard. Because here's the reality. Sticks and stones break our bones, but they mend and they heal. But words send you into therapy for years. 
We have found that bruises heal, but the emotional wounds they leave behind are far worse than the physical hit oftentimes. It's the emotional damage. And so those words that pierce our hearts, you're a mistake, you're never good enough. I even heard of one father telling his daughter who was beat by her husband, you deserved it. Wow. A father is always angry, and when we have that lens, we begin to look at God through that lens and think, maybe God's angry, I I can't please him, maybe he hates me. And we know what the statistics say, in a church of this size, there is someone here sitting there that it went beyond the abuse of words, and it did become physical. And when I talk about physical, and I say that, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are worse, I don't want to minimize the bruises that your body felt, because you felt those bruises. You felt the hit when a father who stepped out of his rightful trust and laid a hand on you in a physical way that hurt you, bruised you. And then we have the earthly father who is seldom there. Seldom there. Maybe as a child you were the victim of a divorce and all of a sudden the dad who was there isn't there anymore. And so when you hit your first soccer goal, he wasn't there. And when you broke up with your boyfriend while you were crying, you cried on your bed by yourself because dad wasn't there. And maybe dad wanted to be there, but circumstances permitted him from not being there. So maybe he's seldom there. And maybe that was his choice, and maybe that wasn't choice. Or maybe he was never there because for some reason he was ripped out of your life. And because he was ripped out of your life, you were forced to grow up with a dad that wasn't there. And so I talk about a father who's never satisfied, and I talk about a father who's always angry, and I talk about these earthly fathers that are seldom there or, or, or never there. Maybe, maybe that is your history, maybe that's your story. I have my story, you have your story, and I have my history, and you have your history. But I want to address that because I want to, I want to point to it for just a moment because now I, I want you to ask, I ask you to do something that may be difficult for some of you. I, I want you to shift your eyes for just a moment from looking at the Father through the eyes of our earthly lens and transferring all of our feelings upon him. And I I know for some it's going to be hard, but I want you to transition from from seeing God through your own experiences. I want you to to look at the Bible for me for just a moment. I want to just to go to the scripture for a few moments today, and I, I want you to begin to look at God the Father, Father forever, everlasting Father through the eyes of scripture. And for some of you that's going to be difficult, but I want to have you see who this everlasting Father is. First of all, our everlasting Father is compassionate. He is compassionate. Your heavenly Father is gracious. The everlasting Father is kind. Look what the Bible says about Him. It says, the Lord is compassionate. And he's gracious. And I love this. He is slow to anger. 
and he's abounding in love. Did you catch that? Did you really hear that? I want you to hear it. It says the Lord, and if you have a good Bible that you're reading out of, Lord will be in all caps in your Bible. Because what it is, it's actually God's real name. And what would happen is the ancient Hebrews were so afraid that they would pronounce his name wrong and did not want to be, begin disrespect upon his name that they refused to speak his name for a hundred of years. Instead, they would call him Lord out of respect. And so this is not a title like a king or like a prince. Right there is his covenant name. It is his faithful name, and we pronounce it Yahweh today. We may pronounce it Yahuwah. Sometimes it's pronounced Yehovah, Jehovah, different variations. But it means Yahweh is compassionate, and Yahweh is gracious, and he is slow to anger. Can I say something to you? You're not serving Zeus today. You're not serving this angry, capricious God who is angry and mad and foaming at the mouth with a lightning rod in one hand, some kind of traffic cop with his ticket in his hand, having a speed bump in life, trying to pull you over and get you. He's compassionate. And he's gracious. He's kind. And his character is he abounds in love. I think one of the most liberating moments in my Christian walk, because I was raised in a legalistic church in my younger years. I've told you stories about the first church I walked into. I won't tell you about that today. I can tell you stories about churches I've preached in. I won't get into all of that. But there was a time in my life that I made a, 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 a decision, it was, it was actually just a God moment when I realized that there was zero, there was nothing, there was zilch that I could get God to, do, to, get God to love me. There was nothing that I could do to get him to love me, but he loved me because I'm there. And here's what happens. Because he loves me, now my life has been transformed and changed. And so now I serve him and I live him for him not to get him to love me, but because he loves me, I do. And Amen. So I don't read the Bible because I'm trying to please him. I love him. He loves me. And I read this Bible because I want to know more about this God who has changed my life. And so you've been working hard, you've been going to church, you've been praying, not because you're overwhelmed by His grace, but because you're afraid and scared. Listen to something that Jesus said to a bunch of legalistic people, some people that have been beat up by legalists. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't have time to get into the yoke today, but I want to talk to you about this for a moment, that word rest. Come and rest in my love. Come and rest in my mercy. Come and rest in my grace. Are you tired? Has religion beat you up? Has legalism left you empty like ground-up hamburger? Have you been trying to please God and you're weary to the bone? He says, come. 
and rest? Come and find your rest in me. Through your relationship with Jesus Christ, he accepts you, he loves you, and there's nothing else that you can do. So our everlasting Father is compassionate. But number two, our everlasting Father is also caring. And I want you to go to the Scripture with me for a moment. I want to see through the eyes of Scripture, not through your own earthly feelings. Look what God says to His people. His people that He had just disciplined. Catch this. He had taken His people. He had disciplined them. They were now in exile in a foreign land. And they wondered, has God forgotten me forever? Here's what God says to him. He says, for the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, are plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you see that? That God cares for you? That God loves you enough to discipline you? That God loves you enough to speak the hard things into your life? But when He disciplines you, it's not punishment. And there's a difference. There are some parents that punish, and there are some parents that discipline. There are some parents that say, I want to bring a lesson, and I want to teach you. I want to help you grow. Others just punish to punish. We have a father who is caring, and because he cares for us, he disciplines us. But in the midst of the discipline, he speaks into our ear, and he says, I have good plans for you. I'm not against you. I am for you, even in my discipline. I am for you. I'm on your side. Even when you don't understand what I'm doing, he says, I have plans for you. I have a future for you. I have a hope for you. I grew up in Kansas, and my dad was a strong disciplinarian. He had to be. He had three boys. We were all hyper. My mother, my my wife rather, asked my mother one time, how did you handle three loud, hyper boys? And mom's answer was very spiritual. She said, I smoked. (laughs) That's how she handled it. And so my dad was a strong, strong disciplinarian. And so, yes, he used the board of education, not at the school, his board of education many times, And it worked wonders in my spirit. It really did. But listen, here's what happened. I remember one time he went through a phase when when he started getting into the psychological phase. And this is when you turn about 12 or 13 years old and dad has that talk with you. No, not that talk. He and I still haven't had that talk yet. I've been married to Laura and she wished dad would have that talk with me. But um, dad has never had that one with me. But he had the talk with me. He said, son, you're too big for me to spank you. It's true, Dylan. He never had the talk. I'm telling you, man. My pastor did. So if you need to talk, we can talk, all right? All right. Get back here. Wow. Get back. That's not in the notes. You guys knew that, right? Get back here. But dad had the talk where he says, you know what, you're, you're too big for me to spank you anymore, so now we're going to talk. 
And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed while my dad went on and on and on and on and on. And when he got done, he said, son, do you understand? And I said, dad, next time, can you just spank me and get over, get over with? This was painful. And my dad wasn't perfect, nor was my mother. And we can talk about our flaws and our scars and all of that. But one thing I'll say they did right, I, in their discipline, I never doubted that my father did not love and care for me. He would often tell me, I love you, and that's why I am disciplining you. We have a caring father, and he cares for you, and he loves you, and listen, he doesn't care for you, so you will make him look good on the baseball field. Some of you may have parents like that, that the only time they love you is when you got on first base or when you caught that fly ball, but men, when you drop that fly ball, look out. We serve an everlasting Father who is eternal, but He's caring. And quickly, the last point is this, and we're going to be short today. Don't tell anybody. Our everlasting Father is always there. I want you to underline that and circle it in your outlines. Our everlasting Father is always there. Hebrews 13 and 5 puts it this way. It says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Did you hear that? If you have your outline, underline it, circle it over and over again. Never will I leave you. Never will I turn my back on you. Never will I reject you. Never will I say before others, I do not know you. Never, ever, never. And write this down if you're taking notes. When everyone else walks out, Jesus Christ walks in. Now, I want to be very clear here. There has been nothing but distractions here the entire time I've been speaking this morning. Everything that can go wrong is go wrong. This thing's back here flashing. we got noise on the stage. we have people talking in the back. Nothing but distractions. And when I see distractions, that's why i got to drill down because I think there's something that you've got to hear. So I, I, I've got to plow here for you, so I've got to say it again. Your God is compassionate. Your God is caring. And your God is always there. No matter who walks out, he says, I won't walk out. I walk in. She can walk out and move out of state. God says, I won't move out of state. I walk in. Your kids can disown you and say, I don't want to know you. And they can curse you and tell you to drop dead, dad. But God says, I won't walk out. 
When man sinned in the garden, it wasn't man that came to God and said, God, I'm sorry. It was God that came to man and began to walk in the garden and say, Adam, we translate it Adam, Adam, where are you? It was God that came to man and said, you may have betrayed me, you may have forsaken me, you may have told me you don't want me, but I want you. And I will not abandon my creation, and I will not abandon my man to a lying devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but I will become present in the most broken time of humanity. At the moment of your sin, I walk in. So maybe you messed up this week. Maybe you said something, thought something, did something, and you thought God wasn't there. I'm telling you, he was there in the bed with you. Don't shout me down. He was there when you were at your lowest, and he says, where are you? David says, if I make my place in the heavens, you're there. If I make my place in the depths, you're there. If I go into the caves, you are there. He's there. Going through dialysis, he says, I'm there. And it was God who came into the brokenness. And he killed an animal because Adam, remember what Adam and Eve did? They made themselves fig leaf aprons. And God killed the first animal and said, listen, sin brings death. So this substitute is going to die. I'm going to clothe you in his skin because it's going to be a symbol. There's going to be a day that as a man I will come. I will lay down my life and shed my blood and save all of humanity. But for now, wear this animal skin because it's a symbol that I'm going to take your death someday. I'm not walking out. Fast forward several, several centuries, and in a darkened time when people were crying out, where is God? We have been conquered by this nation, and conquered by this nation, and conquered by this nation, and, th and it's a dark time. A star appeared in Bethlehem, and a maiden named Mary gave birth to a child, and kings came and worshipped him, and shepherds came and bowed down to him. It was the birth of the Messiah where God took on clothes and said, just as I walked in the garden with Adam and said, I won't leave, I told you that there would be a day I would make it right. I told you I'd redeem it, and in a baby, God shocked the world. When as a baby, he was born. And we don't celebrate Christmas because it was the beginning of the hope of salvation that God was bringing us. That Jesus would one day grow up and become a man and die upon the cross and raise from the dead and ascend into heaven. And at the right hand of God intercede for us having paid the sufficient price for my sins. He's always there. So maybe life has dealt you blow after blow and you've been beat up and your knees are bloody and your elbows are bloody and you're crying today and everyone else has walked out or you feel like they've walked out. God says to you, never, never will I ever walk out. Did you get the message this morning? If you didn't, I want you to watch a video in just a moment. And you, many of you may know the story about a young man named Rick Hoyt. 
who in 1962 was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck he was, when he was in his mother's womb. He was born a quadriplegic, suffering from cerebral palsy. Friends told his parents that we ought to put him away into a home because they could never help him. They should institutionalize him. And they quote, quote, said, because he's a helpless, hopeless vegetable. But Rick's parents knew better. They would watch him. He'd watch him when they walked. And so they brought him a costly computer that he could communicate with. And at age 15, he asks his dad, he says, Dad, can we run, catch that, can we run a race to benefit a lacrosse player who broke his neck in a crazy accident and became paralyzed? Can we run this, this race? And his dad said, yes. And after that race, they ran, went on to ride, run 1,100 races, including 72 marathons. I want you to watch this for a moment. And I want you, when you look at it, I want you to look at the Father as an image of the eternal Father and what he does for us as they sing. Why don't you guys play this and I'll come back and close the service. I love look, loving looking at Ryan's face when his dad is pushing him, coming across the finish line and his hands like this. Do you know why they did 1,100 races and 72 marathons? Because here is what Ryan said. Ryan says, Dad, catch this. Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. <laughs> you have a good, good father. And most of us may not have a guy like that, but we have a Savior like that. And one day you're going to cross the finish line from this age into the next. And you're going to raise your hands in victory, knowing that you won the race. Not because you even took a step, but because a good father made a way where there wasn't a way, came into your life and changed your life forever. Amen. Father, I pray today that you would change the lens and may we see you differently. That you're a God that's not against us, but you're a father that's for us. And that, Lord, you're running the race on our behalf. And because you have done the work and you have exerted the energy and you have shed your blood and you have paid the price, I have finished the race. And I have won because you won it for me. May we see you as caring. May we see you as compassionate. And may we see you as a God that's Father, that's always present. Can you say yes to that?